chapter 18, verses 15 through 17, and then continuing in 21 through 22. And then uh, we'll move to chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. Please follow along in, in the Bible, and if you, or you can read the text on the screen. We're reading from the New International Version. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. The word of the Lord. Our lives can be so fragmented, disrupted, torn apart and splintered. We can be so out of sync with the deepest parts of who we are and what we really long for. But there's truth that centers us, aligns us, and connects us in ways that we don't expect. The words of Jesus, truth and life. In him we find a new way to be human, a new way to live, sync. Thank you, Priscilla, for leading us so well this morning in worship. I really appreciated that. I want to say that right now. And um, this last April, a group of us went to Israel and uh, had a profound experience there. And I want to reflect a little bit on that. One of the things that impressed me is how everyone there, and it's true everywhere, but I want to say that I picked up on just in a really strong way, everyone there is a victim. Everyone is a victim. And I would say that about all of us here. If you go at the history, if I can get you to talk enough, it would come out. But uh, we went to the, the, one of the first places we went to was the, uh, the Holocaust Museum. And it, it is a shrine to the victims of the Holocaust. Uh, Yad Vashem, or Yad Vashem is the name of that. And it was a profoundly, I mean, how do you quantify that kind of sin, horror, done against a particular people. And then we went from there, and then one of the places we visited was a Palestinian refugee camp, 70 years old. There are people that were born 70 years ago in a Palestinian refugee camp, and they're now 70 years old. That's all they've known. That's victimhood, too. And you see how everybody you talk to potentially has a strong victim story. One of the cool things, though, is that we did meet both Israeli and Palestinians who refused to define themselves as victims, or at least that's only part of their story. And it's true for us as well. We are all victims, but that's not our whole identity. And people who make that their whole identity uh, have uh, not, not such a good life. Um, outside of 
Jerusalem, or Bethlehem actually, we visited a, a Palestinian Christian farm and it was on the hilltop. Now, the hilltops there are strategic in many ways. And if you know anything about the Israeli settlements that are such a hot political issue, they are all pretty much on the hilltops. And they have forced the Palestinians down into the valleys. So it's a symbol on these hills. I mean, it's so profound. I can't go into all of it. But it creates a lot of tension in the land. And this particular hilltop is owned by Palestinian Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, and so we heard their story. And one of the things, and by the way, in 2014, the, the, the legal battle they have had with the Israeli government has gone on pretty much for 70 years. I mean, it's, and it's a, it's a legal battle uh, with many ups and downs, and they've, they've had many uh, victories and setbacks. But in 2014, they woke up one morning, and the Israeli soldiers had come in and ripped up 1,500 fruit trees. And, you know, there's more to the story, but... That's what they're living with. I wanted you to hear that. And this is their motto. We refuse to be enemies. Can you say amen to that? I mean, don't you think that's the higher calling, the higher road? We refuse to be enemies. It sounds like Jesus, you know. Of course, they're Christians, so you'd expect that. <laughs> but... Um, what they're saying in part, though, is that we refuse to just be victims. And what a beautiful thing. Uh, there's more to our story than victimhood. In this, in this series, so uh, I'm going to come clean right now. I, I just want to tell you, one of the struggles we have, I have, we all have, is that we hear Jesus and we think he's really nice and he says profound things, but we don't do what he says. Come on. And he says, forgive as you have been forgiven. One of the clearest things he says, I mean, I, I, time and again, there, there it is. It's not that hard to understand. Go forgive someone who has offended you. But in the complexities of our lives and, and in our misunderstandings of what forgiveness is, we get bogged down and we simply don't do what Jesus says. What forgiveness is, is basically saying, I'm going to pick up the tab. There's a debt to be paid. And I'm going to pick it up. But it gets more complicated. I, have, I, I did a series uh, three or four years ago on forgiveness. And it was six weeks. And I felt like at the time, that's not nearly long enough. This is so, con- this is, you know, so many dimensions to it. But I did have a handout for that series. And if anybody is, um, I printed it out. I've got some copies if anybody wants to go there. It's hard to do this in one Sunday. But uh, we're going to try to uh, do it. So one of the things is to deal with the misconceptions. So I'm going to just, and I can't deal with all of them, but these are four that we get bogged down in. First of all, forgiveness is not excusing bad behavior. Don't ever think that. You're not excusing bad behavior. You're paying somebody else's debt. Secondly, uh, uh, forgetting uh, what happened. It is, it's not forgetting. Uh, most likely you will remember the hurt that was done to you for a long, long time, but you refuse to let that be your guiding impulse. It's not a feeling that we can act on. Usually if you wait till you feel like forgiving, guess what? It ain't going to happen. Most of the time it's just not going to happen. Uh, we make the choice and then our feelings kind of come into alignment with that choice as time goes on. And then it's not the same as trusting. We'll see that in something Jesus says here in the text. But it is not the same as trusting. Trusting is about the future. And you have to be careful 
as you deal with people in the future who have let you down in the past. Jesus isn't saying that. He's just saying that when you look back, that the anger that you carry with you, you've got to let go of. And we pick up the tab on the past. All right. So uh, there's, I have these handouts if anybody needs them or if it's helpful to you to uh, do some more reading or watch some movies. Uh, Here's our text or our our approach for this morning. What are my options according to Jesus? Uh, What are my limits? We always want to know that. (laughs) Do I really have to forgive that person? Uh, And then what is my next move? And the next move, uh, I want to make it clear that what Jesus, I think, is saying to all of us is if we have somebody that in our lives that we haven't forgiven. Our next move, according to him, is to forgive them. I mean, and so I would hope that that would happen. And we will also have a time at the end up here for you can come and ask for prayer for that because it is not easy. This is really hard stuff. All right, so what are my options? And I'm going I'm to give you three options that relate to the text here. And the first one's a little bit hidden. Um, and what is Jesus? Let's just read verse 15 again. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and show them their fault, him or her their fault, just between the two of you. And then he goes on, and if, if that doesn't work, you, you move into uh, others. Um, but the, his context here is a church setting, interestingly enough. Jesus hardly ever talks about the church, but he's, he is here. Uh, so, but the principles that are, he's using here could be applied in, in a marriage, obviously, or family, or in society, really. Uh, so there, it's not contained to the church. But uh, if a brother or sister offends you, uh, go to them. So what does it mean to go to them? Well, here's option number one, is you don't really... Um, and, and conflict resolution folks will, will usually bring this out in some form. Uh, something like quiet forgiveness. You don't literally go to them, but you go to your heart and you say in your heart, you know, this is not, it's, it's a big deal, it hurts, but I'm going to just pick up the tab. And it takes a lot of spiritual maturity and energy to do that. You resolve inside yourself to forgive somebody without actually going to them. It's not something that maybe is, is on the Richter scale uh, as as. Uh, Mark talked about the Richter scale. I guess that was in relationship to his mom's sneeze. Well, at any rate, um, it's not that big of a deal. But uh, it is a big deal. And it's in that category. On a scale of 1 to 10, you have to figure out where it is. And you resolve to go in your heart to that place that you need to go to to pick up the tab, pay the debt for that person. And you might say to yourself, you know, if they do it again, then I'm going to go to them. Okay? And by the way, University of Washington uh, study, uh, I, I've heard this and, uh, before, I, I assume it's accurate, but 70% of the conflict in marriage never gets resolved. How do you, of course, you knew that, right? <laughs> you thought it was higher. No, it's true. They've done research on this. 70% never gets really revo- resolved, but in my, my intuition would tell me that there's a lot of this going on, where you, inside yourself, you just say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be okay with this imperfect person that I've been living with for all these years. And I, of course they've got all these things that bug me. Don't dwell on what I'm saying right now, okay? Just, just, uh, but, uh, but it's in that category. And you just, you absorb, you, you pay that little debt, and you move on. 
That's one option, and that's not a, a bad option. But the other no, option number two is to do what Jesus said. Um, the word go in the Greek means go. Okay? Just, it means, yeah, you go to that person, you take, however you can get there transportation-wise, you meet with that person, and you put in front of them the hurt that is on your heart because of something that had happened. And uh, this is, is not the easiest thing to do, but you, you actually have anger that is inside of you that you maybe are losing sleep at night. And part of that anger, I'm guessing, if, if I'm not the only one, part of that anger is the fact that they should be coming to you, right? You're the one who's been hurt. Why aren't they coming to me? And you finally get sick of saying that to yourself and you... Take, get the courage up and whatever it takes to get there and you go just because Jesus said go. It's strictly an obedience thing at that point. You're not going on feelings. Your feelings are telling you not to go but something about Jesus. And once you go and you go obviously in hope not just of um, venting your anger on them you go with the hope of being able to express to them because you care about the relationship what has hurt you. And once you do that, and you can do that transaction where you say that, and you're hoping that they will say, will you forgive me? And of course, you must be willing to say, yes, I forgive you. What a beautiful thing. That is God's kingdom right there. Those, that's, that's way bigger than any other transaction that ever happens in this world. And you cut off the oxygen supply to your anger when you go through that. Take that on faith. That's why Jesus said, Go. Your anger is not good for you, and it's not good for them. You're both in jail. Let's get out of jail. Uh, so uh, I've mentioned before, I have a best friend of 40 years who's a pastor, and we were working together roughly 20 years ago, and we got sideways in our relationship. And I remember coming to a place of wondering, gosh, is, is this one of those relationships that it's a 20-year deal and then you kind of fade away and you know because they, they ended up moving and um, I'm not great at writing letters or emails or anything like that but anyway we've kept in touch through phone calls over the years and spent a lot of time together since we repaired the relationship but why what happened is I had to get I had to go I had to go and I actually wrote him a letter, or was it an email, 20 years ago, I guess it was an email. And I said, I am sorry, I have resent, I've had resentment in my heart for you. The differences that we have as two human beings have created some stuff in my heart, and I'm just owning up what I, you know, and I want to say I'm sorry, and I ask for your forgiveness. And he calls me up immediately, and he said, Mark, are you dying? <laughs> he, he thought I was on my deathbed. And then he laughed. You know, but I said, no, I'm, I'm, well, yeah, I guess I am kind of dying. This is hard, you know, and we had a good talk and we have 20 years of great friendship since. And you'd only get, you know, one shot at old friendships. I mean, you know, you, you can't start old friendships today, you know, you can start new ones. But at any rate, you, you have to go. It, it's what it's about. Now, the third option, and there's many varieties of the third option, is to not go. And instead, you buy into the gospel of just being nice. 
Because if you're a nice person, you don't have to have conflict in your life. Some, somebody, I don't know where this gospel comes from, but you've heard it. Nice people don't have conflict, so you avoid conflict at all costs. The price of doing what Jesus said is too high, basically. And uh, there's different varieties of it. One would be that that person is still in proximity to you and you burn with anger and you're nice to them sort of most of the time except when the gossip or the slander or you're just generally rooting for them to have a bad life, you know? They're in some form the enemy. Or you can, you can kind of move out of proximity to them, make a new set of friends. You can defriend them, whatever form that might take, and move on to people who appreciate you more. No growing in the process, by the way. No good stories to tell. But that's another way of avoiding Jesus' words. And I, honestly, uh, this, and I don't have any statistics on this, but I think, oopsie, I hit the wrong button. That's, for, that's coming up. I know you're curious. All right. Um, honestly, and this is... Uh, just a hunch that I, I think most people take the road more taken. How's that? That Jesus' way isn't where, where most people go. Uh, and I don't, know, I don't know about you, but it's, it's a challenge, and, and it's not easy to do this. And um, it takes courage, and maybe the Holy Spirit is stirring something in you right now. All right, what are my limits? We want to know that, right? And that's what Peter wanted to know. And I always love Peter because he asks the dumb questions everyone else is afraid to ask, right? That's his rule. How many times, Lord? And, and we can maybe expand that a little bit to, um, in verse 21, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who offends me? Not just to the quantity of times, but to the quality or the depth of the sin or the hurt because there's got to be a limit there somewhere. And Jesus responds with something we really don't want to hear, that there is no limit. No limit. But to go back to the, the story in the stories that relate to the, the Jewish Holocaust... Uh, one story of a Polish Jew whose family had been wiped out by the Nazis. And uh, the response of that Jew to a Nazi was, if you could lick my heart, it would poison you. And don't you understand that? Why he would feel that way? I mean, that's such a graphic picture of the feelings there, and they're, they're very justified. There's a huge debt. Is that debt, who's going to pay that debt? How's that going to happen? There's got to be a limit, we, we say, and, and this is where um, when you get into the wanting to establish a limit on how much you have to forgive someone, you end up, if you do the archaeological digs in your heart, you end up in these places of you turn people into caricatures. There's where I was headed there with that. And these are uh, you know, exaggerated features of people. You make them into one-dimensional people. If you think of political cartoons, they usually pick out like Obama's ears or Jimmy Carter's, what was it, his grin? Yeah, all those 
uh, Donald Trump's hair, which is kind of goofy. Well, never mind. Uh, But there's always something. And you make them into one-dimensional figures who don't have stories. They have labels. And I think we've seen this recently. If you're a liberal, then you're just a liberal. If you're a conservative, then you're, you know, and we write people off based on the labels that we assign to them, whatever they are. Uh, They become one-dimensional people, we label them in our hearts, and then we don't hear their complex stories. And everybody has a complex story of being a victim or being victimized or being the one who victimizes them. It's, I mean, we're in that, that, if you look at our stories, that there's those points in there where we've all been victims and we've victimized others. So when we were in Israel, uh, one of the cool things that I can, I can say, one of the, the points of hope was hearing about young Israeli and Palestinian uh, students who would go away for, I think it was week-long camps together, and they would listen to each other's stories. And the hope that was coming out of that was palpable. Isn't that cool? I mean, that's, these, are, these are people who, who love to label each other, and they're getting beyond the caricatures. Now, there's a warning that comes if we go deeply into this, this sort of thing, and, and we're all concerned about the limits of how much I for, must, how, or where I don't have to forgive. And uh, there's been many who've said it well, but I don't know if there's anybody. This is like the juiciest one ever. Frederick Buechner, of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. I don't know. I can think of some others that are fun. Oh, never mind. Okay. Um, To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontations still to come, to savor to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. Isn't that awful? Yeah. Uh, it, 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 he has a way with words, and um, it, he, he's well quoted, but it just gives you this picture that the poison that we think we're giving to others is, the, in fact, the poison that we're drinking. It is deceptive. What anger can do to us, uh, we don't see how much it affects our own hearts. So forgive, Jesus says. Go, there's no limit to it. And then we get to that third point. What is my next move? And um, Jesus tells a story. We didn't read it, but I'll recap it here for you real quick. And you've probably heard it before. There, were, there was a king who had all kinds of money, and he had left some money in charge of one of his governors. And it, it, the, the amount here is 10,000 talents in the story, which could literally be in the billions today. Not, not too sure about that, but it's a huge sum of money that this governor had, uh, whatever, lost in some way. And it's not there. And the king comes and he asks for his money back, and the, and the governor doesn't have it. And so what do you have here? You have a debt. 
Now, is the king going to pick up the tab for that? That's the question. And the king says, no, I'm not going to pick up the tab. I'm going to throw you and your family in jail. But the governor gets down on his knees and he pleads for mercy. He pleads for mercy. And the king, it says that um, he took pity on this man who was in front of him on his knees. Literally, uh, his heart went out to him. It's, the same, it's exactly the same word that is associated with Jesus many times. His heart went out to them. I mean, so the king has, he takes pity on this man and he uh, lets him go and, and things are good. Then this man, uh, the governor, has a servant who was responsible for roughly one six hundred thousandth of the amount that this guy had been responsible to the king for. So it's a very small amount, comparatively. And it's sort of the same scenario, and the, the, um, the servant says, I've lost the money, and the um, governor guy grabs him by the neck and starts to choke him. And then he gets down on the ground and he pleads for mercy. And the man says, no mercy for you. And he sends him to prison. And then the king hears about it and then it's not good news for the governor, right? Which, isn't that justice? Something inside of you says, that's justice. But why is that justice? Well, it's because this guy had been forgiven so much and justice just says that he then should forgive this guy. Even though the governor's reason for not forgiving that guy had everything to do with justice, but we see a bigger view of justice, do do we not, as we hear the story? And that's Jesus' point. And so the, the key is to realize, if you realized how much you've been forgiven... All of it, if you realized it, you would never hold back. There would be no limit to the amount that you would offer to others. The, the, the symptom or the evidence in your life that you don't understand how much you've been forgiven is that you don't forgive others. Just It's the canary in the mind shaft here. Your lack of forgiveness is saying one thing and it's screaming it loud that you haven't been forgiven very much. And that is offensive to God. So when you picture Jesus on the cross, what are the limits of his forgiveness? When he looks at you from that place, with those, when his heart goes out to you, when he sees you and all the victim stories of your life on one side or the other, what are the limits of his love, his willingness to forgive you? That's the question that Jesus puts before his followers. Would you all stand and pray with me right now? Can I just say... Uh, and then uh, I'll pray and then uh, the worship team will will lead us a little bit here but I just feel like that would be the best thing to do Lord Jesus um, if there was ever a victim in this world Lord it's you and so you understand that part very well as Jesus looks down from the cross at each of us And he sees our stories. He sees all the things that we have done and all the things that have been done to us. And we know he wants to heal the wounds of the things that have been done to us. But he also wants to pick up the tab on all the things that we have done 
or left undone. All the ways we have neglected God and gone our own way. All the judgmental, angry thoughts of the heart. All the stuff. And the only thing that can block our experience of His forgiveness is our own unforgiveness towards others. And so is is the Holy Spirit bringing before you a person, a situation, an action, a go, a go. A be my disciple and do what I say go to someone else and forgive as you have been forgiven. Oh God, as uh, we uh, finish up, and would you prompt our hearts to do the right thing? And we pray for courage and strength and the resources of heaven to do what you ask us to do. In Christ's name, amen.